Good morning. It's great joy for me to be here with you this morning to, to worship God together. I don't know if y'all noticed, but as soon as Charles announced who was speaking this morning, Ragnar and Silas both started crying. So I hope I can exceed their expectation of me and, and we'll have a good study this morning. We're going to talk for a little while about John the Baptist. There was a, a couple of different reasons why I wanted to build this study. Really, I wanted to build it for me and the, the timing just worked out. But I hope we can bring some stuff out of his life that we can put into our lives. That we can learn something from the good example that he left for us as he walked this earth making a path for Jesus. And that's what I want to begin with this morning is who was John? We're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 40, probably the most well-known prophecy about John. It says in Isaiah 40, verse number 3, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This was John's purpose of being here on this earth. He was a prophet. He was here to make a highway, to make the pathway for Christ, to begin some of the teachings that Christ would continue, to make a path for him, to show the children of Israel, hey, the Messiah is coming. You know, there was about 400 years between, I'm going to get this wrong, so I'm going to read it, Malachi and John the Baptist. That's a lot of time for the children of Israel to go without a prophet coming from God to speak to them. So they were excited when John came along. They were excited to go see him. They were excited to go hear his teaching. It was an exciting time for them. They'd been waiting for this. They'd been waiting for the Messiah. But they'd also been waiting for John because they knew he would come before to pave the way for Jesus. That's what he was put on this earth to do. Another thing we want to notice about who John was is John was all about Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, one of my favorite stories about John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, it says, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. From before John was even born, John was all about Jesus. It's what he spent his life about. It's pointing the way to Christ. And I just, I love this passage because Elizabeth's pregnant. And I, I remember, we've got four children, and I remember how excited I was every time they'd start kicking, and you could, you could really see that baby moving in there. And this was completely, Candace would tell me, hey, I, I was listening to music, and man, and Maya was just going nuts in there. She's, she's going to love music. It's what John did. When he heard the voice of Mary, the mother of his Lord and Savior, he jumped for joy. He was going to be all about Christ from the very, very beginning of his life. John was a preacher. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, 
The Bible says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what I think about before I did this study. This is what I would think about when I thought about John the Baptist. He was a preacher. That's what he did. That's what he spent his time doing. What he preached largely, he preached about Christ, but he preached about repentance. He taught the children of Israel about salvation and changing their life and turning away from their wickedness and turning to living a godly and a holy life. John was a preacher. Mark chapter 6 and verse 20. We'll get in a little deeper into the relationship between Herod and John, but suffice for the moment to say that Herod was John's enemy. He did not like John at the beginning, but he says this about John the Baptist in verse 20 of Mark chapter 6, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So Herod was an enemy of John, but he knew who John was. And John was a just and a holy man. He didn't just talk about changing your life. He didn't just talk about living righteously. He practiced what he preached. We have a a prophecy made by Zacharias, who was John's father. He, here in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 76, is talking about his child John. And he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts until the day of his manifestation to Israel. First thing I want to notice from this passage, passage is where John lived. From a very young age, John lived in the wilderness. He lived in a desert place. John didn't have the niceties of this life surrounding him. Rather, he lived in some of the worst conditions there were. I like this passage, and this is why the reason I wanted to do a study for myself about John is what did John do with his life? John pointed to Christ. He pointed to Christ. He did what each and every one of us can and should be doing in our life. We should spend our time pointing others to Christ Jesus. And why? Because Christ is the one who can give light to those who sit in darkness. Christ is the one who can guide our feet in the way of peace. Christ is the one who can forgive our sins to wash us white. It's all through Christ. And that's what John did. He pointed to Christ. He was a prophet. There's no doubt. That he had the gift of prophecy. Here in Mark chapter 11, Jesus was talking here with the high priests and the scribes. And they're tempting him. And they come to Jesus and they ask him, where do you get your authority? And Jesus, as he did many times, 
He said, okay, you have a question for me, I have a question for you. And if you answer my question, then I'll answer your question. And so he asked these scribes and high priests, he said, the baptism of John, was it from God or was it from men? And as they thought about this question, this is one of the things that they thought amongst themselves. Mark 11, verse 32, but if we say from men, if we say John's baptism was from men, they feared the people for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. Everybody, everybody who went to John thought, man, this guy, he's definitely a prophet. He, without a doubt, had the gift of prophecy. But that is all that he had. In John chapter 10, verse 41 and 42, Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. Well, as I think about many of the people we have to look up to, and to look at their example in the New Testament, some of them are, are larger than life for me. I can, I can really get up in my head and go, man, they just they had so much power. They could heal the sick. They could cast out demons. John didn't have any of that. You know what John had? John had what we have. Now, he received it in a different way. He received God's word through a gift of prophecy. We have the scripture that we have before us. But John was armed with the word of God. And he taught that word to any and everyone who, was li who would listen. He had no miracles to confirm his authority. What he had was the truth of God's word. And he preached that truth to everyone who would listen to him. And he taught about righteousness. He taught about remission of sins. And he showed the light of Christ to those in darkness. That's who John was. He was a preacher. He was all about Christ. He was very much about self-sacrifice. That's the first point we want to pull from the life of John, is that a little was enough for John. He didn't have very much in this life. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 6 through verse 8, it says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. <clears throat> you can ask my wife or my kids. I'm really good at pointing out when they say the word need incorrectly. We walk it through the grocery store and one of them, oh, we need this cereal, Dad. And like, no, you want that cereal. A couple of years ago, Candace's car was getting on up there in miles. And I don't know if y'all know this, but her parents live nine hours away. You have to drive through the worst parts of New Mexico to get to them. And I started walking around going, man, we really need a car. We, we need something with less miles. We need something that's more reliable. We really need this. And nobody called me out on it. I'm really good at pointing out that fault or flaw, quote-unquote, in other people, but in myself, not so good. You know what we need? We need food, and we need clothing, and we need to be able to be content with that. That is such a foreign concept 
to me. I have so much more than just food and clothing that it takes some real self-examination to know if I can say this about myself. And that's what I want to encourage us to do as we go through this portion of the studies. I want us to look at ourselves. Could we be content with food and clothing? Godliness with contentment is great gain, and John embraced this mentality in his life. Luke chapter 7, Jesus is speaking here. Verse number 24 says, When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? This may be a little bit of a, a, a stretch of this passage, but I, I see Jesus here and I see him trying to describe the scenery where John was. And he looks at this multitude and says, what did y'all go to see? Did you go see for the scenery? And the best thing he could think of was a reed shaking in the wind. Not did you go to see the trees or the river, no. The water, no, a reed shaking in the wind. That's where John lived. He lived in a desolate place, in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere. That's where he was. Verse 25, but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. This doesn't describe John at all. He wasn't clothed in gorgeous apparel. Quite the opposite. Matthew 3, verse number 4, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. It's what John wore. As I was doing this study, I heard a guy talking about camels, and he, his uh, exact statement, if I can get this right, was a camel carcass would turn a buzzard away. That's, that's how bad camel is. They're just, they're gross, they smell bad. I would imagine they're not very comfortable. I've been pretty close to a camel. I've pet a camel. They're not good hair. <laughs> John wasn't just content with clothing. John was content with some of the worst clothing. And his food was locusts and wild honey. A couple of years ago, we gave my kids some crickets for a snack one time. And two of them, for about a month, every time it was snack time, said, Hey, I want some crickets. Can I have some crickets? They really just liked to see me while they ate crickets because it, uh. But if I'd have put crickets in front of them for every meal, I assure you the complaints would have begun. You put crickets in front of me for every meal, and I don't care if wild honey is included, there's going to be complaints. John wasn't just content with food. He was content with bugs for food. To the point of this statement is, is made about John. It says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. He was, he was so about self-denial that 
Pharisees thought, well, he's got to be demon-possessed. It's got to be, but he wasn't. What he was, was he was not about himself. And whatever he had, as long as he had Christ in his life, it was enough for him. So the question is, with food and clothing and a life following Christ, can we be content? Can we be like John was? We live in a place of abundance, as I said to begin with. It's so hard for us to even imagine a world where all we have is just food and just clothing, much less just camel hair and just bugs. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Now that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's about Christ. That's what our life needs to be about. Whether we abound or whether we are abased, whether we're full or whether we're hungry, we need to be about Christ. And we need to be willing to recognize in our life when things of this world are too important to us. When we can't make the statement that with food and clothing I can be content. But it takes examining ourselves and our own lives in order to learn that about ourselves. Are we willing to live with very little for the sake of Christ? That's a question that only you can answer for yourself. John, as we noted earlier, was a preacher. In Matthew 3, verse 1 and 2, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wanted people to know about Christ. He wanted people to know about the kingdom. He wanted people to know about living a righteous and a godly life. You know, when I think about John and really most of the people who taught in the New Testament, I, I start getting in my head a little bit, and I hope I'm the only one with this problem, but I think of the success rate that these people had. You know, John had multitudes of people coming to him. I think, well, if I had multitudes of people coming to me, I'd, I'd preach a lot more. No. John had the same issues, the same struggles that we have in spreading the gospel today. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse number 32, it says, For John came to you in the way of righteousness... Sorry, this is Jesus uh, speaking to the chief priests and elders here. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. While John had many people coming to him, you know who he could reach? He could reach those that were sick, those that were living in darkness, those that needed a Savior. The high priests and scribes here, they didn't believe in him. They didn't believe in Christ. They saw the tax collectors, they saw the harlots believe, but they did not. John had the same issues and the same problems that we have. But you know what? John taught anyway, regardless of those who may have rejected him. You know, we don't need to be 
choosy with where we spread the gospel. You know, at one point, we'll read it in a little while, when the scribes and Phar- or the Pharisees and Sadducees come to John, he calls them brood of vipers, brood of snakes. But you know what he did? He taught them the gospel. He taught them about Jesus. Many times when we go out to teach the word of God, we're picky. That's what I love about the parable of the sower. The sower went out to sow seed, and he didn't go look at the ground and go, no, that's too weedy, I'm going to go over here. Uh, That ground's a little too stony, I'm going to go over here. Oh, here's some good ground, I'll put some seed here in this good dirt. Oh, he just spread the seed. He just spread the word of God to any and everyone. Jesus makes this statement about the generation that him and John were both teaching to. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 16 and 17, it says, But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. They were warning. Jesus was warning people. They didn't care. John was out there teaching people about repentance and changing their life. And they didn't care. There were some who didn't care. Some people do not want the light of Christ. But we need to take the example that John gives us, the example Jesus gives us, the example we see throughout the New Testament. We preach and teach anyway. We don't let the rejection get us down. There are people who love the light of Christ, desire the light of Christ. And we need to teach any and everyone that we can. We have the Word of God. We can study it, we can learn it, and we can certainly teach it to others. John was bold in his teaching. Matthew chapter 3, verse number 7 through verse number 10, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. and Do not say, think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. These Jews had power. They had knowledge. John wasn't intimidated by them. No, John told them the truth of God's word. He told it like it is. He told them, you can no longer hide behind your ancestry of Abraham because now you're going to be judged by your fruits. The axe is there, laid at the root of the tree. Being able to hide behind Abraham is no longer going to be an option. Instead, bear fruits worthy of repentance. In Luke chapter 3, this is the, the same instance But he continues here in Luke chapter 3, says, So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized, and he 
and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed to you, appointed for you. Verse 14, Likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. John taught real-life solutions to real-life people. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to him here in Matthew 3. What did he do? He told them, hey, you can't hide behind Abraham anymore. You're going to be judged by your fruits. People who had much came to him and said, what do we do? said, all right, you need to be a generous people. If you have two tunics, you need to go find someone who doesn't have one and, and be generous. The tax collectors came to him and said, what do we need to do? And he looked at them and, all right, what's their problem? Well, their temptation is going to be to collect more tax than they should. So what does he tell them? Collect no more than what is appointed to you. Soldiers came to him. What do we need to do? Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. He gave real-life solutions to these people. We need to learn from that example and try to emulate that in our life, in our teaching, when we try to help one another. John called sin, sin. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't sugarcoat it. He called sin what it was. Mark chapter 6, verse 17 through verse 20, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and a holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things gladly and heard him gladly. John called sin, sin. As you can see from the passage here, he got a lot of different reactions depending on who it was. Herodias hated John for calling sin a sin. Herod, on the other hand, feared and respected John, and he listened. He listened even though John was letting him have it. He was telling Herod all the things he was doing wrong, not just this with his brother's wife, but many other things. In Luke 3, verse 18 through 20, and, many, and with many other exhortations, he preached to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all that he shut John up in prison. John didn't just stop it. Hey, you don't need to have your brother's wife. He kept going. And as long as Herod would listen to him, he was telling Herod, hey, this needs to change. You need to fix this. You need to change what you're doing, including, hey, you shouldn't have thrown me in prison. John was teaching and letting him have it. And Herod, as we see at the end here of, of Mark 6 and verse 20, he heard him and he did many of the things and heard him gladly. I believe John implemented Ephesians 4 verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, 
Christ Jesus. You know, the world today would have us, quote unquote, just be loving. Don't call sin, sin, because that's, that's hateful. Don't tell people what they're doing is wrong, because that's mean. We just have to be loving. Because calling sin, sin would be unloving. The Bible tells us, and our example of John teaches us, that we are to be loving, but we are never to be loving at the expense of the truth. You know what the most loving thing you can do for someone is? It's to grab them from the grasp of Satan and pull them away from him. It's to tell them, hey, you're living in sin, and there's a judgment to come. We need to change your life. That's how we love our neighbor. It's how we love our friends and our family. We need to be willing to call sin, sin, even if it costs us. And it certainly costs John. We don't have time to read all of this, but this is the account of, of John being killed. Herod made a promise to Herodias' daughter. And Herodias' daughter came and said, I want the head of John the Baptist, because that's what my mother wants. And so Herod had made her this promise, and so he sent, and he had John beheaded. Herodias hated John for calling their sin what it was, which is sin. And it cost John his life. Are we willing to allow the truth of God's word to cost us? Are we willing to hold on to the truth even unto death? It's another question that you just have to examine in yourself. We're blessed. We live in a day and time where the truth of God's word usually doesn't cost us very much. But that may be changing, and we need to be prepared for that. We need to examine in our own life and in our own hearts, would we hold on to the truth of God's word even if it costs us? even if it costs us our life. We have a job as Christians in this world. Philippians 2, verse 14 through 16, do all things without complaining or disputing. I didn't really need that, but I like to read it for myself. Verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in this world holding fast the word of life that you may rejoice in the day of Christ and that I, sorry, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. We are to be a light in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. No, Jesus taught when you light a candle, you don't put it under a basket and hide that light. No, you put it up in the house so it can give light to the entire house. I think too often we, we want to hide our light. We want to cover it up. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be weird. We don't want someone to look at us and go, well, they must have a demon. They're so strange. Don't cover up the light of Christ in your life. We need to show that light to a lost in a dying world. We've said it a few times, but John was all about Jesus. From the very beginning 
to the very end. It doesn't take any time studying the life of John and the teachings of John to recognize that, but I want to make this point in, in one very specific way this morning. In Matthew chapter 3, verse number 5 and verse number 6, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. John had a huge following before Christ began his ministry. He had people coming from all over, coming to hear him preach, coming to be baptized by him. He had disciples following him around, learning from him every day. He had a lot of power, or he could have. But what did he do? John pointed people to Christ. John 1, verse 36 and 37, And looking at Jesus as he walked, he, speaking of John, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. It's what John did. He pointed to Christ. Behold, here he is. He's right here. Go follow him. John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 26, some of John's disciples came to him and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. These people were worried. Like, we're, we're losing followers, John. All the people are going to Jesus instead of coming to us. Verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from above, sorry, he who comes from heaven is above all. Jason prayed at some point last week, and he mentioned joy in his prayer, where we find our joy and to seek our joy in, in the Lord. That's what John was. He loved Jesus. His joy was in Christ. I love the picture that he paints here. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. John was happy, tickled to death, to be the friend of the bridegroom. To be the one who could point people towards the bridegroom. John's joy was in Christ, and he was excited at the voice of Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease. He was happy to lose his followers so that they could go, go and follow Christ because that's who he was. He was all about 
the Lord. Now, as Coulter was preaching on Wednesday and talking about that mustard seed that turns into a plant, he talked about having a growing faith. As he talked about that mustard plant that that seed would turn into, he talked about how the, it was really difficult to get it to cross-pollinate, to get it to change. That's who John was. John was, he was all about Jesus. You were not going to shake his faith, change his mind, anything. He did not allow his focus, he did not allow his faith to be moved away from Christ. John's life was not about John. That's a real struggle for me because many times in my life, my life is about Matthew. And it's something I need to fix and I need to take the example of John and change. Because my life needs to be all about Christ. You know, there's a movement in the world around us, a, a find yourself. You hear people say, oh, you need to go to college and find yourself. Or you need, to, you need to focus on yourself so you can figure out who you are. You know how you find yourself? You put Christ first in your life. You make your life about Christ. That's who you find out who you truly are, who you truly can be, your true potential can only be found when we make our life all about Christ. The last question we'll ask is, is your life all about Christ? Again, a question that we have to examine in our own life. I encourage you, the answer is no. Let's make the changes we need to make. Let's strive to make those changes to be all about Jesus. This morning, if you need help with that, we stand ready to assist you. We'd be happy to pray for you as a, as a collective group this morning. If you need help with that and you're not comfortable coming forward, I encourage you to please ask somebody. Ask somebody for help. There's many people here. I mean, we're a family. We love you. We want to help you. Seek that help that you need. This morning, if you've not begun your walk with Christ, I encourage you to do that as well. You know, John was at a slight disadvantage when he was on this earth. He was pointing forward to the death of Christ. Now we get to point back to the death of Christ and the life that Christ lived. Christ died and he shed his blood for each one of us so that we could be washed from our sins, so that our sins could be white as snow before him. There's water behind me. If you were would like to this morning make the decision to begin your life with Christ, we would be happy to assist you in that baptism. If there's one of either class, we'd ask that you come forward as we stand and sing.